Welcome to the Bloody Broads Pod. We're your Bloody Broads. I'm Bhavna Sharma. And I'm Jamie Howard. We are your horror guides from page to screen and everything in between. And today we're covering 2019's The Vigil. Uh, this movie really scared me and impacted me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bhavna, hit me with your first thoughts. Oh my goodness. So I saw this movie as a fluke. So um, <laughs> a I fluke. was... <laughs> A fluke. I saw it at the film festival. So I guess it was a 20. Yeah, it was a 2019 film festival. Whatever your knives out came a out. Tiff. Because that's my benchmark now. Yeah, Tiff. Okay. Um, and uh, a friend of the pod and friend of ours, um, Risa, was in town. And um, she had tickets to this. And I had a free, like, well, she, she visited me for the festival. And she had a free ticket to the, she had a ticket to this. And um, I had time that day. So I was like fuck it, I missed it at Midnight Madness. Like, I'll go see it. Like, sure, why not? If she's going to go see a horror movie, then I will go. When you said it was Risa, I was like, wow, like a whole horror movie for Risa? Wow. Well, she went for other reasons. Yes. (laughs) Yes, but uh, I was like, all right, sure. And then I was like, what did you make me watch? Because it was terrifying. Like, because I saw it on the big screen. I don't know about you, Jamie, but the first time I saw it was like, like a full blown movie theater screen. And I was just sitting like this, like, uh, like all the way lean back. Listen, I saw it on a map. It was a small screen, but it was a massive TV for the first time. Um, And I had the same reaction. So yeah, to quote another movie, it's a real scary So, you know, the the lay of the land, so to speak, is that a Jewish young man who decides to leave his Hasidic community for reasons we come to find out is, was a traumatic event, uh, is taking on the role of um, someone who watches the body after someone in the Jewish faith dies. And it's a shomer, but there's... So there's always the Hebrew way and the Yiddish way to pronounce stuff. So for people that are listening who are not familiar with Judaism in general, but especially like Hebrew versus like Yiddish, Yiddish is mostly spoken, you know, with American Jews who grew up here, although there are people who live in other countries that speak it. But you're going to hear me especially pronounce things several different ways. So that's why. But... I, yeah, I want you to finish your intro thoughts because this gave me a lot of feelings. Yeah. Well, I guess a good way to put it is the way the producer actually introduced it because he was there at the screening and he was just like, we just love to call this a Hasidic horror. And I was like, after watching it, I'm like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Like, that's it. Like, um, I don't have much exposure to the Hasidic community aside from going through pockets of Brooklyn. Um, for the most part, in, like, some pockets of Toronto. But I don't really have much, like, exposure to them or their culture and stuff. So most of what I know is through friends or through, like, you know, studying and stuff like that. So it was interesting to see how they made this into a film. And you know what? Um, I'm going to... I'm going to come to this in my closing thoughts, but I also want to start it off as well. But I want to say that, uh, at least in my opinion, and please prove me wrong if I am wrong, but I thought it was pretty well balanced 
in the sense of like taking tradition and then carving it into a narrative that can be considered a horror movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's difficult because people don't have an idea of how the faith works a lot of times. I think a lot of people, especially from the South or places in America where they there aren't Hasidic communities, they kind of get the wrong interpretation. I know a lot of people think that it's basically the Amish <laughs> equivalent in Judaism, and it's not. Uh, which we don't really have time to get too deep into that. But if you want to look up things on Google, feel free. Uh, we don't have time to unpack all that. We don't that. have time to unpack all that. <laughs> um, but for me, this movie was super impactful because, you know, I'm very into the idea of grief being a ritual and death being a ritual. Because I just don't think in America that we give ourselves time to process grief. And for sure, the last three years, we really have not done that. It's been full steam ahead, plow through it. You know, the economy, we got to bolster the economy as like over half a million people have died now. But especially within Western culture, the idea of sitting Shiva, or if you're more familiar with the idea of awake, is so foreign to us that it's scary. So we don't think about what it would be like to actually sit with our grief and sit with our deceased loved one for longer than the viewing or the funeral. And I don't really think this movie would have worked quite the same with an Irish wake. Um, I I think they could have been equally as scary, but in terms of cultural touchstones. Cultural touchstones, and then also in a horror sense, an Irish wake involves more people, doesn't it? So, like, you wouldn't truly yes. be alone like he really was. Because I think he was technically supposed to be completely alone, but the only reason he wasn't was because Mrs. Uh, Lutvac was uh, a recluse. I believe that was the the official story. But I think you're supposed That's to technically, as, if, I'm, if I'm remembering the movie correctly, I think you're, you were supposed to technically be alone. Alone? Yeah, you're not even... So when you when you're and I'm going to pronounce this the traditional Hebrew way, not Yiddish. When you're the Shomer or the Shamer, you're supposed to sit by yourself with the deceased for that amount of time that you're allotted, usually five hours. Um, but there are Shomers who do this out of the fact that they were related to the deceased or they were friends with them, and there are those that do it, like David in the movie, because he needed the money, because they are paid people. Um, and I think something that, is a beautiful through line in this movie is doing something out of not just obligation because that's the wrong word, but doing something out of like a deep reverence and doing things for the right reasons because he says so many times that he's doing this for money and it comes back to bite him in the ass. <laughs> it does. It does come back to bite him in the ass, but you can tell that like he's saying he's doing it for money, but like one thing in, um, uh, at the beginning of the movie, he um, is a part of this, like, um, aftercare group for, like, people that have left the Hasidic community specifically. And you can tell that, like, um, he's having doubts. Uh, not doubts, necessarily, but he's having um, a little bit of a... Uh, how do I put it, Jamie? It's, um, he's having this like crisis of faith where he's like, is it right that I left? Because he's still Jewish. He very much still is participating yes. in, in Seder and he's participating in um, the Sabbath and they're observing, you know, Saturday night Sabbath and all that good stuff. But they, 
It's this yes. group of young people that get together to discuss leaving, I mean, being Hasidic, which is a very intense version of the faith. Yes. And, yeah. And I actually kind of really like that because you don't really get to see that in um, in a lot of film in general, not just horror films. You don't get to see the aftermath of something like that because a lot of films will be about leaving a certain community or a certain group or leaving your situation. It's never really about the aftermath of after you've made that decision or after you've made that move. It's kind of like the final girl. I was group, just about to say that. So, yeah. so that's why I'm so excited. Yes. We love Grady Hendrix. That's why I was so yes. excited that they were going to make that into a movie because, or even a limited series because we don't get to see the after. And I really want to see more of what happens after you've had these intense encounters. And this movie doesn't get all the way into that, but they do kind of breadcrumb us the situation that made him leave. And there is a bit of like a ley line throughout the film of that because it comes back. It keeps coming back. You keep getting reminded that he left. It's not just it's not just his rabbi um, stalking him. <laughs> Stalking him, a la the Exorcist. Oh my God, that's the exact thought, the exact shot I thought of, because we get this shot of this thick rabbi like against the lamppost, and I was like, wow, uh, people that are not familiar with Judaism would not understand how much scarier a Jewish exorcist would be versus like, oh my God, versus like the regular Catholic one. Uh, Catholic one's just in Latin, and ooh, what is Latin? Yeah, like, I don't think people realize, and we were talking about this right before we started recording, like, how many tens of thousands of years is behind, or are behind, you know, Judaism, and, like, it's, to me, it's scarier. Uh, but I, I am intrigued by kind of this idea of what we owe each other, and it's the same idea of like a group of survivors in a film. So like the Scream movies, as we all know that I'm a huge fan of, do a really good job of showing what happens after. Like Sydney is the recurring character, but this only is one movie and I kind of wish he makes a sequel, knock on wood. Um, I don't know. I'd be very interested, especially with the way it ended. I'd be very interested because it's not open-ended, but it's kind of open-ended depending on how you look at it. Okay, here was my thought process. So the ending shows, I mean, we'll come back around to the beginning, but the ending shows him fighting the, um, I'm going to say this wrong because it's not a Yiddish, or excuse me, it's not a traditional Hebrew word. I think it's only in Yiddish, but it's like the mezuzik mm. or the muzik. And muzik, I believe they kept yes. calling it. Like at least that's how I was hearing it phonetically yes, was muzik. Yes, it's like M E a Z Z I K or M U Z Z I K, depending on the, the how you're spelling it. Anyways, so he yeah. sees himself in the demon's face as he's fighting it, and I know that that's such an overwrought trope for a lot of people. I love it because that we're our own biggest monster, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about last week um, or our last episode, I should say. It came out last week. We record these quite far in advance, you guys, um, <laughs> with. Peek behind yeah, the with boys, uh, boys get bruised too. With the you know the monster being mm -hmm. his own stepdad, the call coming from to the house. We're our own monsters. We haunt ourselves with our regrets and our fear, and that's really the theme of this whole movie. And it just tears yeah. me apart. All the flashbacks. I'm. It hurt me to watch those flashbacks. 
Yeah, and the way I kind of saw it open-ended was not just that, but when he's leaving the house, he, like, because before when he tries to leave, which we'll dive into, he tries to leave the house at one point because it's just, like, just try walking away. Um, That seems easy. (laughs) This place is haunted. I'm out. But um, he tries to leave, and he gets very, like, he gets uh, incapacitated really quickly like in the most cringy like it's mostly in the shadows so you don't really see it but you hear the bones kind of like cracking and forming and he's falling and it's very like i wanted to vomit uh and uh, then he comes back into the house obviously and he's fine but when he's leaving the house at the end he has this moment where he kind of like puts his hand on his chest as if it hurt and I, the first time I watched it, and this is the second time I've watched it, I clocked it. I was just like, I, because I had forgotten. It had been like, like three years since I'd seen it. So um, when I was watching it, I was like, wait a minute, does he, does he die? Is he, is he infected with the demon? Is he, is he, does he die? But then he walks away. So I'm like, ooh, is he? But though? there's that is idea he? because we come to see the demon entering the young man who is forced to, you know, shoot the other person. The young Ruben. Yeah. The, the young We see young guy. Ruben, who is our deceased, like like Bhavna said. We see him being forced by a Nazi soldier to shoot another Jewish uh, prisoner. And so this is not in any way something I would watch if you were not in the right headspace to see this kind of stuff. But I think if mm-hmm. you are not Jewish, then this is something you actually should watch and expose yourself to. The same way I felt about the last section of Tales from the Hood with Hardcore Convert. Yes. Mm-hmm. And to me, when they showed him touching his chest, it's because, again, that idea of like what we owe each other, it's that we'll never forget this. It's the, the idea of remembrance, mm-hmm. which is a big deal in any faith, but especially with Judaism, because, and we can have a whole separate discussion just on this, there is such a blind spot in modern society with what is and isn't anti-Semitic. And if you are so aware of it, or if you're Jewish and grew up Jewish, you're, you see things and you carry that with you that it feels like other people are blind to. And I think kind of that idea of passing along that generational hurt where it's not, mm-hmm. and this loops back around to what I want to get into, the, the phases of grief within the religion and within the tradition and what gets woven in this film. But we don't process that in America, especially in the Western tradition in general. And so we are very much like a move on, forget it. You know, they died 10 years ago, who cares kind of thing. When other traditions... There is a set day of the year to remember things. There are set holy days to remember things. And I think unless you are raised outside of Western Christianity, you don't understand that. I have a lot, a lot of bigger thoughts on this, but I I do want to go back into other notes in the movie because, Bhavna, you wrote really good notes. Oh, I don't want to get away from myself (laughs) in this. That's that's all right. But on your note, in a sense, like I do find it weird and it always strikes me as weird because I wasn't raised in any like Christian exactly. tradition either. I, but I was raised in a society formed on Christian tradition, whether you identify as a Christian or not, Judeo-Christian, whatever. I don't know the term. I apologize. It's okay, just Christian. Yeah. New, 
forgive me, <laughs> but um, how how weirded out they are by a structured grieving process. People are very uncomfortable with it because I was raised super Southern Baptist yeah. despite our heritage. And so like, it's a very, it's like you bury someone within a couple, within like, you know, five to seven days. And then it's after like a week or two weeks, you're expected to just be kind of okay. <laughs> yeah. And like with, with like Hindu traditions in particular, like we have set, like we have to do it within a certain, like really quickly, like a couple of days, like it has to be within a couple of days. Like you can't, you know, take your time or pick an arbitrary date or whatever. Like mm, this doesn't work for me for the funeral. I get it. I gotta, I can't do it this week. Can we do it next week? You can't do that. It's literally, you gotta drop everything, which uh, actually becomes a little bit hard when the death is sudden. Um, because it's like, you gotta move quick, fast. And I've heard that about uh, Judaism as well, because if I'm not mistaken, it's gotta be within 24 hours, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, pretty, I guess, depending on, just like in Hinduism, it depends on the family, depends on the sect, it depends on where you where you at where you at religion wise but um <laughs> well but we have to do it within a week and then we have certain rituals we have to do within uh, sorry uh we have to do a couple of days and there's a couple of rituals we have to do within a week and it's like a year-long process there is a whole year-long process of this stuff. and if you don't mind talking about it i mean you just had to do that with know. your granddad so yeah, yeah. I kind of got a crash course I didn't want. I know. We picked this movie like months in advance and then he passed and I was like texting Bhavna. I was like, should we still? I don't know. Like, is that okay? No, I'm okay. And to quote the Grover meme, we pass back and forth between us. If I don't make a joke about it, it will destroy me. Um, so basically like super, super high level, super Coles notes, spark notes, whatever kind of notes you want to talk about. Uh, basically once someone passes away you um you have to have the funeral like so the actual like um i forgot the term for it i'm a bad hindu uh <laughs> the actual term i forgot the actual term but you can equate it to last rites the first round of last rites uh there's a whole tradition you have to do at the funeral like there's a whole thing there's um uh, i know certain um balls are involved that are made of like flour and i believe cumin or as in it, if I'm not mistaken, but like they represent different parts of your um, body and soul as well. Like it's all intricate and like it's very patriarchal as well. So like my grandfather that passed is my mom's father. So she and her sister were not really allowed to, they weren't allowed to do anything with, uh, with the actual funeral process. And because my grandparents are the type of people that they were, they weren't even allowed to pay or anything like that because they were very like, we don't take stuff from our daughters. But that's beside the point. Um, because it was my grandfather that died, it was the males in the family that had to prepare the body as well. So when my grandmother died, it was the women in the family. You, you prepare the body, all that good stuff. Uh, you then go through with the funeral, which is a little bit different here as opposed to back in India because you would have funeral pyre by the river. Yeah, I don't think Canada's going to take too kindly to a, a funeral pyre in public right now. Although we are all for <laughs> green burial on this podcast. All yes. for cultural rights, all for green burial. But yeah. 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 So then you go through that. That's where you have your version of funeral. So we did it at a funeral home. And you then have, like, certain, like, there's certain traditions that you have to do throughout. Uh, then there's the actual cremation, which happens at that point. Then a week later, 
Oh, also, fun fact, you're not allowed to cook if it's your household. So because it was my uncle's household, for until the funeral, they weren't, like, from the death to the funeral, they weren't allowed to, to cook. I didn't know that. Um, people had to bring them food or they could do takeout. That is very Southern, by the way. That is very Southern American. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. They're not allowed. They're not allowed. They're not allowed to cook. So when I remember when my grandma passed, I was staying at my uncle's place because I went to hang out with my cousins for a bit. Like, you know, grief and all that stuff. I was like, I don't count. I can make stuff. Do you want me? Do you want tea? Do you want something? I don't count. Like, let me do something for you. But you're not allowed to do that. And there's a whole process. Sorry, I'm derailed now. There's a whole process where it's like people will come and uh, we call it of sos, which is like condolences. So people will come to the house. So there is actually like a term for it. There's actually like a way to do it and stuff too. That, even that structured. So it's not just like, I was thinking about you today and I decided to come over. It's more like, okay, you know, uh, Jamie's family member died. I have to go over. Like it just happened. I have to go over and I have to like talk about it. Not that it's forced or anything. It's still genuine and heartfelt, but it's not as spontaneous as I find North American culture to be in well, general. Well, you know what's so funny is that the further we get out from the Victorian period, the less structured mourning we have, which is very interesting to me. Um, for those that don't follow me on Twitter, I am very fascinated <laughs> with death rituals and the idea of mourning as a society, because again, we don't process it. And I think this movie does an amazing job of forcing him to come face to face with the grief of the past. Because what we come mm -hmm. to find out you know, of his reason for leaving the community is that he was walking with a little boy, which I was unclear. I don't think that it's his, is brother. It his brother. Okay. I couldn't remember. So it's his younger brother and they get accosted by some people on the streets. They live in New York city and they get kind of tussled with <laughs> roughed around his hair, gets his cut. hair, his, like they cut off his, his hair, curls. his curls. And, um, that Hasidic men are, you know, that they wear traditionally. And they shove the little boy into the street. Little boy gets hit by a car, his younger brother, and he's more, you know, that's what he's mourning. Mortally wounded. Yeah, he's, yeah. It was a very tough scene to watch. So, and he was so cute. He drew on a little, I know, beard. his I cute little, noticed, he drew on a little, beard little and like, mustache, paint and I was like, you're so goatee. cute. It was adorable. Um, very little rest. It well, I think that was around. If I'm not mistaken, it looked like it was around the time of um, one of the festivals where you dress up, very similar to dressing up for Halloween oh. in America. Yeah, okay. I, I think so it wasn't just for like fun. No, no, no. no. I think it was around the time of that uh, uh, festival. Okay. Um, but anyways, it's still yeah, it's adorable. And so there were so many moments in this movie where we feel isolated, right? So his flashbacks feel isolated. And I love any movie that takes place in a single location. I'm very much about the one room, one house situation. I love Werewolves Within, for example, the most recent one. Uh, I think, you know, just the containment feeling. I mean, we just went on a different podcast to talk about The Thing. We did. And like, uh, don't breathe, actually. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So it does that really well. <laughs> I took a sip of a drink. <laughs> so you we, breathe, you yeah. breathe. That was not a command. <laughs> I was taking a sip of a drink when Bobna said that. Um, no, I. Don't breathe does that really <laughs> yeah. well. And uh, I think, too, you know, it's an easy trope in horror to get isolated. I mean, we did The Lodge a couple months ago now, but. 
that feeling of yeah. being separate from your community, leaving the church, so to speak, because even myself, I mean, I hope my parents don't listen to this, but if they do, it is what it is. <laughs> even myself, like... Mr. and Mrs. Howard. Yeah, look away, don't look listen. Away. <laughs> uh, even myself not being an active participant, again, I was raised very Southern Baptist and didn't come into the other aspects of my family until later in life and in our you know, heritage and everything. And it's very interesting to me what it feels like to lose your community and what it feels like to lose your support and then doing your chosen family, which is what he was doing with the support group. And so for him to now agree to, to sit vigil with this older person who is a Holocaust survivor and come face to face with a, a literal demon from the past, <laughs> it's, I wish they would have explored other parts of it more, but it genuinely hit me. I was like, wow, again, what do we owe each other? What do we owe ourselves? And this felt very, for not something that was a Mike Flanagan film, it felt very Mike Flanagan in parts. It did. And like another thing I think that added to the claustrophobia of it all was the fact that uh, the couple were like uh, cloistered off from the rest of society. They were recluses. They kind of locked themselves up, which you find out later is because of the demon, because he spent so many years uh, studying the demon Ruben did and trying to figure out like, you know, how to deal with it. And so by the time he died, he figured out how to deal with it. And he realized that he had to deal with it once it first hit he couldn't deal with it now like he was stuck with the muzzik until he died but that's why they drove away the kids and drove away or they, i don't think they had kids i was it wasn't clear because uh she has dementia so i'm not sure if she drove away her kids or they didn't have she them. says the reason i pushed the kids out like why i pushed him out of the house yeah. was because of this so it is unclear. But later she says, like, I don't know if he would be a good father. So, oh, that's maybe because she pushed the kids away. So what he would have been like. Sorry, guys. Because he. I have light bulb moments all on this From what I understood. No, no, no. It's all it's all good. From what I understood, he came over, he escapes, and the rest of his family dies during the Holocaust. And right. he starts a new one. Because that's what Ruben says. But. Yes. I think when he tries to start a new one she realizes what he's brought over with him. Yeah. Right. Because even in the videos, you see that she's a part yep. of it. She's sitting in the background. Yeah. Listen, that video, when he pops oh. it in the VHS and he's like, he's like leaning in. He's like, what did she say? And she goes, it's right behind you. But she's just lip reading oh. it. <laughs> Listen, Lily Cohen, legend. She was Rest a legend. She, oh, rest in peace. She was, a, you guys might know her as Magda from Sex and the <sighs> City. Fave. I <laughs> listen. Everybody gets at least one piece of trash media. Sex in the City is mine. Uh, if you want to talk about and just like that, feel free to tweet at me. Um, but but there are lighthearted move- moments in the movie. There's a <laughs> when he first starts sitting through the vigil and he googles how to talk to women. <laughs> bless him that was adorable and when he's actually texting her and she says something along the lines of like oh i shouldn't be on my phone and she's like oh okay cool and he's like no no it's fine it's okay like it was just so like middle school and pure and oh it was so it was adorable uh because he's been in this you know again this acidic community where he's like 
you don't sit with the women. Like you don't interact with them if you're not really married to them and are related to them like as your mom or your sister. And so he's like, how do I, is it okay that I'm doing this? And and it's adorable. Yeah, when he goes in for the hug and everything too, he was just like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And he does like this weird hug and then she hugs the, I guess he's the rabbi of the group, right? Or like the leader. I believe he was introduced as a rabbi. But like he goes, she goes to hug him. And he's like, well, you make it look so natural. And I'm like, oh, so cute child. It's adorable. And I think that there's a big discussion to be had about, you know, purity culture in any religion. But especially with young men where like, you know, with women, it's the Madonna horror complex, right? Like we're either your child's mother or we're that slut. Like there's no in between. And that's a very westernized approach to it. But with things like, you know, if you're Hasidic, if you're especially an extreme example are Christian cults and then um, Mormonism, extreme Mormonism, uh, the separation of men and women is just so deep. And I love that that's a a through line in this whole movie where he keeps having to kind of deal with a woman. Uh, I don't know about you, but that scene with um, him FaceTiming her scared me really bad. Scared me. We should. Especially when. No, no, no. We should get into that after a commercial break. Yes. So that scene where he FaceTimes the girl is what we were talking about. And oh my gosh, guys. Oh my gosh. So to set it up, he is freaking out because at this point he has seen things. And uh, we'll get into the call with his doctor before that too because that's something I want to oh, talk about Oh, well. yeah. No, no, no. We're going to talk about it a lot. Yes. So just to get to the FaceTime. So he's already freaking out. He's already tried to leave the house. The demon won't let him. He's all like, he gets literally physically attacked by nothing while he's leaving the house. So he's back. He's really, really freaking out in my heart. Like that's like, uh, that really got me just because I'm like, I would also be freaking out in that situation. Uh, Hardcore. I hope any one of us would be. So he FaceTimes her because she's literally his only friend, like aside from the rabbi. (laughs) And um, he FaceTimes her and she's asleep and he's like, oh, I'm sorry for waking you up, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's worth noting that he tries to FaceTime her. She doesn't answer. And then she FaceTimes him. So. Yep. She's talking to him. She's, you know, saying, like, did you try to leave? And he's like, yeah, I tried to leave. And then I forget what she says specifically. But then she starts. It takes a turn like that. She says. She starts saying, are you alone? It's his head backwards. When she said that. Listen, listen. I said, what the fuck? I was like, what do you mean is his head backwards? Holy shit. That's one of the hallmarks of the demon. You find out from the video is that their heads, their, their, um, that the muzzik's head is permanently backwards. They look like us. They talk like us. They're like us, except their heads are backward. They're permanently faded to like always be looking behind them. So. Which is another kind of allegorical thing that we can get into because... Think about permanently having to look backwards. Woof. Yeah. So then she starts going into the guilt, which is the, why'd you let him die? Meaning his brother. Like, why'd you just let him die? And she switches between, I believe it's Yiddish. Is it Yiddish? Yeah. She switches between Yiddish and English. Um, But she just starts laying into him, being like, you let him die. And she gets all like, 
creepy, determined face, and then eventually a demon devours her on the camera. It's Which, if you're already thinking you're having a mental break... It's so scary because he's already, as we come to find out, like you said, he's had a call with his uh, psychiatrist right before this about, hey, I think I'm seeing things. I really need you to answer. And he tells him to walk over to the body and he's like, is his head on backwards? And I was like, why? Why? Because that noise, that like crunch noise of the joints that grossed me out. And the first time we see the shadow of the demon, his toenails are trying to dig into like that cheap linoleum floor in this like pre-war apartment. Yeah. Oh, oh God. my The way my toes just I curled. know. My <laughs> whole body cringed because I'm so grossed out by like nails popping off. It just is disgusting to me. So <sighs> he keeps having these encounters with people he's supposed to trust. But in yeah. reality... It's the demon telling him, you should be ashamed of your past. You know, you let him die. And that's such a powerful burden, I think, especially in modern culture, where, like, we're expected to present this idea of being perfect all the time. Even Because even influencers who make their money off of being, quote-unquote, realistic or real, it's not—it's still edited. It's still very much— it's still edited, and it's still like, okay, what if, uh, as you and I both know, what if you're having a depressing day, but you're like, I need to pump this content out. I need to, con- I need to like, send this up at the end of the week. But you know what? I don't really feel like leaving bed. So you have to force yourself to do it. That's not real. Real would be like, hey, guys, I'm doing this from my bed right now. Like, or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a slice of real life. And I think, too, especially when you layer in the religious aspect and the cultural aspect— there's a sense of what was the higher order of things because American Christianity loves to throw around the, it was God's plan. It was preordained, blah, blah, blah. Bhavna's rolling her eyes. I'm rolling my eyes because the last thing you should say to someone when they're grieving is it's God's plan. There's a higher reason for this. Like heaven gained an angel, especially because in Judaism, like that concept of heaven and okay, for, well, first of all, hell doesn't exist in Judaism for that for people that that's information to or new information, yeah. But the idea of heaven is very, very, very different, you know, across all religions, but especially within the big three, as I call it, uh, <laughs> all of the um, more uh, Abrahamic religions. So. We get these scenes of first him trying to call his psychiatrist. Then he tries to call her after he's come back into the house and been passed out and everything in the street. But one thing to note is that the psychiatrist was also the mother. Yes. Because he gets a call back, the first call. And then when he goes, it's a head on backwards that freaked us both out. And then he's getting another call. He's like, oh, hold on, Dr. Kohlberg. And puts him on, on hold. And then it's, it's like, hey, it's a completely different voice as well. So just, I thought that was a really, really good note to put in there that like his voice was different because when you're that distressed and you hear like doctor, you instantly calm down. You're not going like, hey, he doesn't sound like my doctor. It was similar enough to make you not It was similar enough, but it was different. Yes. And that disturbed me. Everything about this film disturbed me. That's what creeped me out. Not even just the fact that it was him because I'm like, hey, who's, they've done that before. But it was more so the voices. I was like, oh, fuck no. Don't gaslight me. (laughs) Not today, Satan. But that's the thing is like- we, there are tropes in this movie that should not work because they are overused. And it's a, one of my big gripes in this movie. Like yes, the call. The call, um, seeing the shadow out of the corner of your eye, 
time passing differently. The, the dementia, dementia lady. Yeah. Poor. Oh my God. She has dementia and it's poor Mrs. It's Lincoln. a mess. But there are so many tropes that they use in this movie, but then they do build upon, thankfully, at least two of those because there's some that they don't. Uh, yeah. I mean, the first video that he gets is what scared me the most. We are kind of going backwards chronological order, but that's this podcast. You know, we don't, we're not a recap. No, if that's what you're looking for, sorry. Uh, not sorry. Like how many ever episodes in like 15? (laughs) So when he wakes up the first time after he starts to nod off and he has that video on his phone of that old person's hand caressing his face. Oh, it was Mrs. Ludvig, wasn't it? Was it? I thought it was the husband. I think it was her. Oh, either way, it's creepy because like that POV is is the dead body. Yeah, <laughs> disgusting, disgusting. I yeah. that's one of my biggest fears is like shit happening to me while I'm asleep because I sleep pretty hard, and so I can just imagine like like that's why paranormal activity scares me so bad because <laughs> I'm like oh my god they don't know that it's happening, but it's there are so many moments in this movie and it's so funny because you wrote it so well in the notes where oh, we you. have a mind fuck and we can't trust the narrative and I think that that ties into him calling his psychiatrist and one of my biggest gripes in the movie I'm tired of mental yeah. health being used as a trope I really am yeah I really am I thought that they did a not gross job with it in this one in a sense because they focused on it once and they never really came back to it like, you just get throwaway lines of, like, hey, remember we talked about PTSD and blah, blah, blah. And then there was another line, I believe, where he talks. Obviously, that's where you find out that that's his brother was through the call. Because it's like, you know, you let your, like, you know, we understand your brother's death. Are you seeing your brother again? That type of thing. But it still wasn't great because, you know, it's like, why did it have to be a doctor? Why couldn't he call his rabbi? You know, like, why did it have to be that way? Like, I, I know exposition-wise, it was great to tell us that, okay, he, when this traumatic thing happened, he was put into a hospital, he got psychiatric help, he now has a dedicated psychiatrist, he's on pills, he's taken a few, I forgot the name of the pill, was it, is it Adam? not Adivan, um, it's something. It's, it's um, not Adivan. I think it's the generic name, it's the generic name for, like, an antipsychotic. Yeah, it's something, he takes something, he's like, I'm almost out of the tablets, like, I don't know. Which also, the using the term tablet, also great nod. Yeah. Shout out to Moses. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean more so in um, terms of linguistic, or not linguistics, but in terms of, like, uh, local yeah. vernacular, in terms of, like, smaller communities, like, tablet would be the more, I don't know how to put it, uh, because I apparently lose all my words when I record this <laughs> It's the more frequently used but it's, term. It's, yeah, it's the more frequent. It's the colloquialism that's used in smaller communities or like older. It's an older it term. Or like I know people use it in India. They'll use mm-hmm. tablets. They'll use the word tablet instead of a pill. Pill is very modern. Is a very modern term, whereas tablet is very old, traditional. Blah blah blah. Just a fun thing for you language nerds out there. But <laughs> I digress. Either way, this was it was okay for exposition, but at the same time. Uh, I don't think we really needed to know that he had a history with hallucinations to be as scared as we were. So, so I agree. But also, my big thing was, why does PTSD have to automatically equal hallucinations when 
in reality, a flashback, at least from personal experience, is nothing like what they showed in the film. But yeah, that's a bigger gripe for media in general. They do at least, and I it was the muzzik, so I'm like, how? Where? Where'd you get your degree from, demon? (laughs) But he. But the the quote-unquote doctor was also saying, like, do you... He was asking great questions. I would have believed it. He was saying things like, do you believe it's real? And he asked it over and over again in that, like, calming tone. Like, what are you seeing? Do you believe they're real? Like, do you... Who is it? Describe it to me. Like, very grounding questions. He had his PhD man. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> PhD man. Also great merch. <laughs> Muzik University. No, don't. Muzik University. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't roll that out there. Don't do it. Don't do it. But PhD man, great. But what I what I was trying to say was he also. I'm gonna call the demon a he. He also, you know, was giving like I would have fallen for it. I would have fallen for it. Those questions were very realistic. They were very, especially if you're in that situation or not, because I wasn't in that situation, obviously, and I was still like, all right, his doctor. And it wasn't until later when his voice changed a little bit. And when he was asking about, obviously, the head and whatnot of the body, then I'm like, this isn't, oh, God, this isn't right. Well, my takeaway was that he had the strength to go to a psychiatrist after being in a deeply religious community because a lot of people, and especially still in modern faith, they think that you don't need therapy, you just need Jesus or your higher power. And it's honestly disgusting to me as someone who was sent to a quote-unquote Christian therapist as a teenager when what I really needed was psychiatric help with an eating disorder, that people get sent to their religious leaders who are not trained, that you can be trained in how to handle handle a mental crisis, but that doesn't mean you're qualified for it. And and that goes for some people who are actual therapists too. I mean, there's definitely some bad therapists as well, but I think- on a broader scale, this kind of speaks to the division between secular and religious concepts and how a lot of people don't think mm-hmm. that mental health practice can exist in a religious practice without being, quote-unquote, secularization. Agreed. Totally agreed. And, like, it... Um, for example, you don't... It just takes a lot of fortitude for yourself to recognize that you cannot deal with the situation and you need help and to go to the appropriate individuals that can help you. And I I emphasize appropriate. For example, when I was a teenager, I found out through the grapevine um, because teenagers never are direct about anything. It's always behind people's back, blah, blah, blah. But that a friend of mine at the time was planning to self-harm and to commit suicide uh, at another friend's place. Uh, whoever whoever you are, you're listening, whoever's place that was, you know who you are. I'm not going to say your name. Uh, and I know you listen. But uh, but that this particular friend was going to do this at New Year's at their place. And immediately, me, 16-year-old Bhavna was just like, I need an adult. And I need several adults. So I immediately went to, like, the adult. <laughs> she was 18. It was her sister. <laughs> at A the fresh time. adult. But listen... Listen, she was legally an adult, all right? But she was going to be with them on New Year's. So, like, I went to her, and I also went to my guidance counselor because that's the closest thing to mental health um, official 
I guess. I don't know what the term is. Again, I told you guys, I lose my words when I record. But I went to the guidance counselor because I was just like, hi, I'm 16 and don't have any qualifications. And this is above my head. And I don't want to be responsible for someone's life. You take care of it. But in terms of this, it's like it takes a lot of strength to go beyond what you're told. So like for him, it was the religious community and it was his religious leaders that would normally take care of this kind of stuff. It took a lot, I feel like it took a lot of strength for him to actually go, no, I'm not going to listen to what I've been raised with in this situation. I don't think you're qualified. Like, I don't know if this is necessarily his thought process because it's a very tight film. But, you know, then to go to an actual doctor or people that he was told he shouldn't approach for this type of stuff. That's the big thing is that he was told we are the only people that have the answers. We're the only people that have guidance in the situation. And the only reason he's doing this sitting vigil, sitting Shiva, is is for money. And his friend that tries to rope him back in is his ex-rabbi, or at least ex-religious leader. He might not be the rabbi of the whole congregation or the whole synagogue. But he keeps trying to bring it up. Like, maybe this is a good way to rope you back into the faith. He literally says that at one point. Reuben does. And I'm just like... Wow, David has said like four times, I don't want to be back in the church. I don't, well, not even the church, just that version of the church, because he is still very much Jewish. And he keeps approaching his mental health in like a, what can I do to help myself way, a very proactive way. And it's so frustrating how this film uses mental health as the boogeyman, which happens a lot in movies, but I don't. It's more like the red herring of yes, a boogeyman. Yes, thank you. That's exactly what I was about to say. It's, I don't think they were doing it on purpose. It's 100% the red herring. It's just something I think was a moment of, you know, okay, we're just going to okay this plot point in the movie. Uh, just a moment of, of kind of a blind spot. I was trying to avoid using that term, but that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's not a better term for it at this moment. Uh, we're trying to... Not mince words, but we're trying to work on our vocabularies and everything. And it's this film was so impactful. I think it brought up a lot of emotions with us watching it, especially yeah. with a recent death in the family with Bavna, and then uh, yeah. having lived out several versions of <laughs> losing a loved one in the past couple of years on my end of things. And you know what's so crazy is. They took a structured event, and this is something I think applies to filmmaking in general, not just within horror, but they took a very contained event, and it was those uh, constraints and those guidelines that made it more creative. And this is something I talk a lot about with acting as well. The more specific you can get, the better. And I think people are really afraid of getting specific, and that's why movies like this don't get made as often. Because this could have been a two-hour movie, and I would have been okay with it. It is about 98 minutes, which I love, but this could have been a full two hours, same. and I would have been okay with it. Yeah, same here. I could have definitely had more in the beginning, like kind of setting up the community. I could have had more on his backstory, and maybe a little bit less about the Holocaust. Uh just a little bit less, maybe like a scene less. Like, cause it kind of, what we didn't mention was the movie kind of opens with, I believe them in the woods. Like with that scene of like a young Ruben forced to shoot his uh, wife or uh, loved one. Um, you get that scene in the beginning as well. And I'm like, okay. Cause I remember the first time I watched it, I was just like this really, 
Like, not that, not in like a, I wouldn't watch it type of sense, but I'm like, I thought this was going to be different. I didn't think, you know, this was going to be, I thought it was going to be modern. I didn't think it was like, a, I thought it was a period piece at first because of the way uh, the shot came up. And like I said, I went into this blind. So Same. I had no idea. So I was just like, oh, I didn't realize we were watching a period piece. This is weird for like my friend to choose this to watch because I know that she doesn't really watch that type of movie. Well, and I think too, you know, it's this idea that gets, and I've said this before on Twitter, we don't need any more World War II movies. We just don't. I really don't need to see Nazis on film anymore. I'm good. We have plenty of Nazis here in America today in 2022. Uh, we just do. And it did provide cultural context, but I'm in agreement with you there that like once was enough kind of thing of showing that. And I think they were trying to weave in the idea of this demon getting passed down from generation to generation. And I don't want to speak for the filmmakers, uh, especially not the overall team that produced this. But, you know, the point of morning rituals in any society, but especially within both Hinduism and Judaism, is to guide you through the grief process so that you feel it, you accept it, and then you slowly move away from the immediate sadness of it. So it's a slow process. <laughs> and I think this movie does a really good job of overlapping the stages of traditional grieving process within Judaism with what he feels in this movie. Because I think, again, in America, we just go through it so fast. We just do. And this really illustrates kind of the steps so there's, um, I'm going to pronounce this again the best way I can, and I'm going to go through these super quickly. Uh, within the tradition of, you know, death in Judaism, you normally are buried within 24 to 48 hours uh, in a plain coffin. There's no, like, layers and layers of coffins. Um, so there's Ananut, and I always say it wrong because there's Yiddish and Hebrew way to pronounce things which is kind of like those first 24 to 48 hours of just like that initial shock and grief. Then there's, um, I'm going to say this wrong, karia or karaya, which is the rending of the garments. So a lot of times there's a symbolic piece of um, cloth that's given to the loved ones where they're ripped. And then, of course, what most people are familiar with, which is sitting shiva or just shiva in general, which is those first seven days after they're buried where you can take a break from your routine, you're literally instructed to not have your normal routine happen. And that is such a wild concept to Western culture of, I'm going to take at least yeah. two weeks to fully mourn. There's people in my current day job who like have lost loved ones and they're like, oh, I'm only going to take like XYZ for a briefment. And I was like, what? Like, that's such a wild concept to me. Um, and then... That's similar to that's similar to Hindu yep. tradition as well, where we were like I was just saying you're not allowed to yeah. cook in the household either. So that's kind of their version of you're taking a break, like you're not supposed to do and that. And then my personal favorite kind of concept is um Solosham, which literally means thirty. So it's the thirty days after burial. So the first seven days are Shiva and then the other twenty-three after that is kind of after you've sat by yourself. And over those next twenty-three days, you slowly introduce yourself back into society, which again I think is such an important pause. 
And he does not do this. David literally gets cut off from his family, cut off from his community because his younger brother dies. And from what we get fed in the breadcrumbs in the movie, he just leaves pretty quickly from what I understood. Yeah, it's almost like a clean, not a clean break, but like just a complete. Yeah, and it's the grief that eats him alive. And the last piece is um, Eastcore, or is, there's a a couple different ways to pronounce that, but it's Y-I-Z-K-O-R. There's a Yiddish and again, Hebrew way to say it, but it's a 12-month period. So the next 12 months, a full year after, where you have a Mm -hmm. yearly remembrance of the deceased. So you literally go from the 24 to 48 hours to the seven days to the 30 days to the yearly. So they literally give you such strict guidelines of like daily, monthly, weekly, yearly. And it's wild to me that more countries, Mm -hmm. not even religious communities, just countries in their own cultural culture (laughs) have not adopted this. And it's... It's why we have so many mental health issues right now, because we don't allow ourselves to process things. Yeah, like it's completely wild. And I didn't realize until your explanation of this how similar um, our grieving process is as well, or like our death rituals are as well, because we uh, a week after the bury uh, the week after the cremation because we don't bury we cremate um, you have something called a shantipat, which is literally a a ritual a, a prayer i don't know english words for it because it's like bot is literally like what you read off of so like the actual text and like ritual part of it so uh but for the peace of the soul of your of the person um and you do that again it's also patriarchal so my uncle had the, to be the one to host and to lead it and all that kind of stuff and there's always food and there's always food. Food is everywhere. Uh, you do that. And uh, that's, that's a week after. And then you, I believe, and I could be wrong, um, you have to spread the ashes within a year. Uh, you do that within a year. And there's also another ritual that takes part in that because we love our rituals. You do another thing like that. Like I know with my grandmother, they went to India and they were able to spread it in Hardwar, which is where most of my people go to spread uh, spread ashes. Um you do that there and or anywhere really like there are actual fu- fun facts there are actually places that are like legally sanctioned for you to spread your ashes and like there's like like in Ontario at least there's probably places around wherever there's a Hindu community you're allowed to do that also uh then it's like a year later so you're not supposed to celebrate anything big within a year so Interesting. for example when my grandma died i that was the year of my 30th birthday like within a year so she died in the june and my birthday is in march so I technically wasn't supposed to celebrate, like, my big 30th. And the funny thing was, like, that summer, my mom, my um, grandma wanted to have a huge party because uh, my cousin is born in July and my mom's born in July. And, like, uh, everybody's, like, summer babies in my family. So she wanted to have one big bash for everybody. But it's, like, even though we wanted to honor her with that, we couldn't do it because we weren't supposed to do it. It's really messed up. I had no idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's fun times, or should I say, not fun times? Like, I mean, you can celebrate, but you're not supposed to like. You're technically not supposed to do like shubkam, which is like, uh, good works, like good, like like big celebrations. Like, you're not supposed to be like ostentatious and like huge about it. Like, you can't. No one's gonna get mad at you for being like happy but birthday. But you can't have like, like a let's whole go get dinner. Thing. But you can't be a whole. 
that's yeah, fascinating to me. Like a whole thing. Like my family was fine with me doing my thirtieth because they're like, "You're turning thirty. Your grandma would want you to do something." And by that point, it was already most of the year had gone. But like most people don't. It depends on your family, but most people don't even do the volley or like they don't do that kind of stuff. But as you also mentioned, that there's like specific times of year where you remember the dead. For us, that's shrot. Mm. So that's in October, and it's usually. Or, like, October, November, depending on, like, the lunar calendar. But it's right before all the Diwali stuff. So people generally don't book weddings or anything big during that time. Because it's, like, it's the time of the dead. You shouldn't be doing that stuff. It's not auspicious. But, uh, yeah. So, as I was saying, um, very similar. And that's kind of wild that other people aren't. <laughs> it It is. And I think, too, kind of that through line of grief consuming you is so real in this movie because it's about what's unprocessed, right? Like what's, what are we allowing to haunt ourselves? And I think it's such a good tie-in if you want a Western approach to it, to Haunting of Hill House, which we've covered because it's the exact same themes. And I don't think we really needed the subplot of mental health and medication, like you said. Um, I think there's a stigma already against taking medication and, and how dangerous you can be if you hallucinate. And I think it's scarier to hallucinate without your mental health being thought of. <laughs> Especially because you don't have any at least documented or self-documented mental illnesses. No. And I, like you said, the rituals that overlap in other cultures are beautiful and they are so similar and they really can tie us together. And it's just so sad to me that it is scary in America to experience this idea of a vigil. And it's why this movie got made, because it's a foreign concept to so many people. And it's almost like exoticize. I always say that wrong. Um, exoticism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what happens. I, I get you. Yeah, like that's what happens. And so... You know, I think this is such a pertinent film for right now because of all the deaths that have happened because of COVID. And I think kind of in the coming years, there's going to be a resurgence on the meditation of grief. You know, scream scream five jokes aside. <laughs> I think as we emerge from this other side of things slowly and not so slowly in some cases, there's going to be this trend of more horror movies that focus on grief and I'm okay with that because it's one of my favorite devices in storytelling um yeah it was a this is a heavy movie yeah it was a oof <laughs> it's like for 98 minutes it gripped me <laughs> like this and never let go the full 98 like that's the thing is this is not a boring yeah. movie it's not a bad movie it's just i no. wish that it would have expounded upon some things because if you're not within the jewish community already or you're, if you're not intimately yeah. familiar with it there are a lot of things that got lost in the sauce like yeah and like as a horror movie as a horror movie if you took again i bring up this point i think i brought it up i forgot what episode i brought it up and i think it might have been get out but if you took out all the not took out but if you kind of put to the side all the uh traditional part of it like the jewish traditional parts of the film and you looked at it just strictly as a horror film like forgetting the themes forgetting everything just looking at it it's like okay fine this is a demon possession film at its core you uh it's really good in that sense in the sense of like it got to the point really quickly like we jumped right into the did i see that 
was out of the corner of my eye. We jumped right into that video came quick and fast. Like the um, the hand caressing his face was, I believe, within the first yep. 30 minutes. And for a horror film, they usually I find the plight of modern horror films that setup takes way too long and doesn't pay off as great. Um, looking at you, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, 2022. Uh, that's going to be its own episode. <laughs> yeah. But basically, they didn't waste time, and I thought it was beautifully set up in the sense of you got all the exposition you needed through the conversation, like through them sitting there. You didn't have to explicitly say, like, welcome to the gathering of the post-Hasidic society. <laughs> I present. Not a flashing. I present to you. Hold her hands up into like the flashing lights, like jazz, jazz hands. hands. Well, and I think that that's a good discussion to have. Is like audiences are not as stupid. I think as most people who make films think, and but this movie almost had too little exposition at the beginning i understood but like i think someone who was coming at this from a different angle might have been a little lost i don't know yeah more like we didn't know about his brother like if we had something a little bit more about the fact that he why he left in the first little bit i could have been happy with that i mean we figured it out later we got it through literally several flashbacks but (laughs) there are like 14 flashbacks in this movie there are, and, like, I get what they were trying to do artistically, which is, like, we're going to give you this much, and then this much, and then this much, and then this much, when I'm, like, you could have given me this much. And then a long stretch this of this much. I know. Yeah, exactly. They did that with the the shot in the woods in the 40s to this as well. But uh, exposition, but compared to the to the peers of this like you know sort of horror movies in the last couple of years exposition was much better done than most movies that have come out uh other than that like i thought it was pretty they jumped into the scares pretty quickly and in a good way and like all right here go hell come let's go uh let's let's dive right in and like he dived into the solution quickly but not too quickly which is which is kind of artful so the scenes of him figuring out the solution, I think I don't want to get too deep into just because it is based on a lot of things that get explained in the film. But when he's walking in that hallway and the hands are like stretching through the fabric, I know, I know, it's the worst because I just have such a fear of like walls closing in on me. Um, and again, like I talked about at the top of the episode, the demon taking the form of you know, Yaakov himself, so the old man himself. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I've been referring to the main character as David because that's his name in real life. His name in the film is, is Yaakov. So. Sorry, I didn't even clock that. I, I knew it was Yaakov, but I was just like, it's okay. oh, okay. Yeah, I just think he's such a great actor. To, he, I mean, honestly, there he are is. so many stretches of this film where he's the only actor and it is horrifying throughout the whole thing. Yeah, he... He does a lot with very yeah. little, which is skill. We love some eyebrow acting. Uh, he literally starts to recite psalms to heal the deceased. And it is the strongest ending I could have had. I got very emotional when he's reciting psalms, holding that single candle, like walking into that hallway. Ugh, I was so scared and I I was so emotional. I just made like a cartoon noise. I can't. It was, it was so 
It was heavy, but also you were so relieved that he was doing this and he was willing to sacrifice himself because at this point we find out that he can't leave the house until he confronts this demon. And I think it's such a beautiful allegory for we can't move forward in life until we've confronted not only our inner demons, but also this idea of like, things could have been different. Okay, but then you also wouldn't have been the person you are today. Yeah, and as someone that's like, been a fan of horror and like specifically like uh them catholics and what they like and all the horror that they get up to it's a lot <laughs> but uh it's a lot uh it was really refreshing to see a similar trope in the sense of like okay you have to use your religion or like religious training to get out of the situation with whatever whatever entity you're dealing with but it was very refreshing not to hear like the usual tripe and I will call it tripe, but the usual tripe. And it was it was very refreshing. Like, fine, I didn't necessarily know that they were the Psalms right away until, like, obviously you knew in the video they tell you in the in the film they tell you you have to say the, the Psalms. But um, I'm not familiar, obviously, with any Psalms because you mean I am you not don't know the whole Torah and the Talmud. No, <laughs> I don't. How dare? <laughs> I don't. I don't know it. Maybe one day. Listen, I don't even know. <laughs> I listen, them, so I don't know fine. the whole. Ra- listen, I don't know the whole Ramayana or the whole Gita either. So that part, I know enough. I know enough. I know the story. I know the morals. <laughs> but regardless, I thought it was very refreshing not to hear like you know, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Or, right? Like, or insert Warrenism here. Okay, because we do love. Listen, we do love Insidious. <laughs> We and do we love all the other love, movies love, love, love. with the Warrens. I get it. Although the real life Warrens were not the yes, conjuring, all the conjuring, although the real life Warrens were not as cool as the movie Warrens, but it gets or no. Not. Oh my God. If he looks like Patrick <laughs> Wilson, we'd be having a very different discussion right now. If he looked like Patrick Wilson, this country would be all across. right. Listen, <laughs> today on hot, hot demonologist, um, it's so Check out our new pod, Hot Demonologist. I have some ideal guests. Uh, <laughs> not not Zach Baggins, but other friends who are in the paranormal world who I think are attractive. Uh, I just think it's... Can we get Shane and Ryan uh, on this? Yes. Um, I just think it's really funny that, like you said, we have so many movies with Catholicism and even just pure Christianity. And it's like... Not pure Christianity. Before the Catholics come for me, that's not what I meant. It's (laughs) just meaning like nebulous ideas of Christianity. Uh, And I think it's so refreshing to see something that does represent a lot of Jewish culture correctly and also doesn't use it Mm -hmm. as a punchline. Because there's definitely times in other horror movies, the Dybbuk box movies, I'm not going to go there right now. Oh, I'm not going to go there right right now. Uh, No, don't. That's not, not a whole, <laughs> anyways, that's a concept, but yeah. it's refreshing to see this. <laughs> and I'm going to get right to my closing thoughts, if that's okay with you. Or do you have, you had one yeah, more Yeah, go thing? for it. No, no, okay. no. Uh, actually, yeah, one, yeah. More, one more thing. It was just, it was really, before we get to closing thoughts, it was just also really refreshing, since we're on the refreshing note, not to have a, um, a movie that was based on, obviously, a older tradition, like a more ancient tradition more ancient um way of life in a sense where like this is, these structures have been in place for long before jesus was a glint in god's eye um, 
oh, I crack myself up sometimes. Me too. But, this is fine. Um, but that isn't inherently just like evil. This is evil. This is evil demon that we know nothing about, and we are a brand new culture encountering upon this demon that we know nothing about. Like it's more like it's not. It's within the same culture like yeah he didn't know that specific demon but he was brought up in the culture he's within the culture it's kind of monochrome in that sense as opposed to like me outsider coming in dealing with the muzzik and being like what are you exotic demon how do i vanquish you oh god <laughs> like you you get what i'm yeah. saying though right like it's not that other it, 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 they didn't otherize it in a sense yeah that's it but, they didn't no, otherize no, and it. i totally agree because it would be like the trope of, oh, there's this ancient artifact and we've awoken the demon associated with it, a.k.a. every Indiana Jones movie. And it's... Listen, we don't eat monkey brains, yeah. right? It's it's that othering that is so dangerous in a larger sense because it spills out into the rest of culture. I know people don't like to talk about that, but it's true. I mean, how we learn about other cultures for the first time is often through what we see as children and nine times out of ten yeah. it's really sort of damaging really um i guess simplification oversimplification of things usually stereotypes that are hurtful so this was a great film that didn't do a lot of that um i think yeah yeah and I, I liked that. I also liked that, like, he, though he was, let's just say, divorced from that sect of the community, he also didn't go, like, demons don't exist or, like, didn't have that attitude towards it either. It was very, I found it refreshing to be like, oh, that's a demon? I right, let's roll. But, like, his version of it. He was so Jewish. He just wasn't, you know, yeah. that particular sect no, of oh, it. And I, yeah. Of course. But even just, like, as a personality, mm-hmm. not even just anything to do with the, the religion, he was just like, oh, all right. Like, you know, like, I'm not someone that's, like, now that I'm not a, not actively a member of this part of the community, I'm not just going to be, like, everything's an old wives' tale and everything's a superstition, you know? Like, he didn't he didn't completely throw everything out. And I out think part of that left. was the fact that he saw the demon. <laughs> I mean... Uh, and that was after he took his pills. It was. And that was very scary to me. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, the toenail demon. <laughs> uh, so, closing thoughts. You know, I'm yes. still go for it. I'm still holding out hope for a movie that truly explores Jewish culture and horror, especially uh, tales from Jewish mysticism, which I know is kind of a controversial sect and and subsect of things, but has a lot of good storytelling. And it wasn't an awful. This movie was not an awful movie by any stretch of the imagination. I think it handled that delicate balance of respect for traditions with the ability to scare outsiders and those of the faith. I think it would scare you no matter what religion or no religion that you are. Uh, I do wish we had delved a little bit deeper, kind of past the surface level scares, but it was a tight, tight 90 of a film, so that would have been a little difficult. So overall, I enjoyed it. I'm going to give it three out of five. Uh, You know, I think... We've said our piece about it, and I think that's my overall takeaway from this film, is it's worth your time. Yeah, I believe that, too. And my closing thoughts are pretty much the same as my thoughts throughout, was that I found this to be pretty refreshing to watch. Um, Like, I know I'm not of the culture, and not to be that guy, but it's like, you know, I do have, you know, 
uh, a few very good Jewish friends. Um, and I mean that they are good friends to me, not that they are good Jewish people. <laughs> like, I mean, they are, but you know what I'm saying. I didn't pause correctly in my I sentence. I'm wheezing <laughs> off mic. <laughs> it's okay it's okay we understand everybody understands what you're saying so it's i'm not a i'm not a stranger to the culture but i'm not in it is what i'm trying to say here uh i'm not like i don't know anything it's more like i know enough to uh to know that it was balanced to know that um it was balanced i also know enough to know to respect my friends who are more learned than i am to tell me if it was good or not and that was the friend I saw it with said for the most part like even though uh she's not as uh well versed in the Hasidic part of things either said that like you know it was pretty cool in that sense uh basically yeah like what I've been saying it's refreshing to see a movie like that it's refreshing to see it not otherwise not exotified or I don't know what the term is here but you guys get what we're saying here like they didn't they didn't exploit it it wasn't exploit exploit I can't. Exploitative? That's a word I can't say. Ex- that's it. One day that's we're going to pronounce something right. Not today, <laughs> but one day. Listen, well, you guys know we share one brain cell, so when you can tell who's holding it by who's pronouncing the words correctly. So, Usually not me. And I'm the one that just stumbles on everything. Over, I trip over my own size, nine and a half feet. Wrong. So, uh, the scares were also pretty great. The scares were up there. So if you're looking at it from a purely like horror movie standard um, and kind of filtering out context, it's super, it's super great. It's a tight film. It's scary. And they do a lot with a little, which is what I like. And like Jamie had mentioned, it takes place in one place, which is really great. And uh, side note, The Servant does that as well on Apple TV. Uh, it's really great. I mean, take your M. Night Shyamalan bias aside. It's really great. Also, Rupert Grint and Philadelphia accent cracks me up. So, <laughs> so anyway, I digress. Point is, the scares were still scary upon a rewatch, and for me, that's that's uh, that means a lot. Because normally, once I've seen a horror movie, I'm expecting the scares again, and I'm like, eh. But I'm watching it again, and you feel that claustrophobia. So, if you're someone that likes films that are very, um, the call literally kind of came from within literally. the house. Oh. Literally, or, um, you know, then who was phone, for lack of a better. <laughs> for all you internet olds out there, so if you like films that are, then who if was you're phone, this one's 25 great or older. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I give it about a three and a half out of five for the mindfuck factor. Agreed. Uh, I just think that everybody should at least watch this once for the sake of exposing yourself to something that's different. Uh, and I hope that this paves the way in the future for even better films. And Dev and uh, we, uh, just to let you guys know as a note, we uh, led you in this month with a really good movie. Oh, sh- <laughs> yeah. Coming up, we have a movie th- that we uh, don't necessarily give a three and a half out of five. Let's just put it that way. Sorry, y'all, my mic um, keeps muting. Coming up, we have a movie that we don't (laughs) love as much, just so you know. Yeah, exactly. We don't give it a three or a three and a half out of five. That's not what we do. We kind of uh, gave you false false hope this month. Sorry about you. Well. But it's going to be entertaining. It will be because we love mess at this place. Uh, We love, I love love mess. mess. 
Well, you can find us at Bloody Broads Pod on Twitter and Instagram, as well as anchor.fm slash bloody dash broads if you'd like to support us. We do have some exciting things in the works coming up for y'all. And other than that, it helps to leave a review and tell a friend to tell a friend. And if you didn't like this episode, leave it in a five-star review. Bye. Bye. Bye.